Walk through the garden You better watch your back Well, I beg your pardon Walk the street in Hi everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality Channel. My name is Hit Zero. I'm Isa. Uh, and this month, uh, we have a very special guest, uh, our close friend, uh, although we haven't seen him for quite a while, <laughs> but I, I have a, a feeling many of our listeners will know who he is. Um, he is singer-songwriter Charlie Lim. Uh, hi Charlie, introduce yourself. Hey, hello. I am that of what you, what you just described. <laughs> as much as introduction as I think I need. Um, thanks for having me on. I feel very, you know, I'm like a very casual, you know, fan of The Wire. So I'm surprised you even asked me. I don't know why you asked me, to be honest. Was it because I mentioned how much I liked <laughs> it or something? And um, Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, for people who don't know, I think like myself and um, Charlie, we, we used to work at a company called Bandwagon together. Yes. And I think I remember having a couple of conversations about about The Wire with right. you and you were like one of the very few people I knew in Singapore who watches even watches The Wire. Yeah, right. Maybe uh, I just and... went maybe I just went like shit a lot. <laughs> just <kept saying. laughs> maybe that's why you thought I I watched it actually. <laughs> that was the original meme man. Before memes were a thing. That was yeah. that was that was it. She so dumb there was a Spike Lee movie recently called uh, The Five Bloods uh, starring the shit guy. So, um, <laughs> I, I, I spent uh, two and a half hours waiting for him to deliver that line. And Did he? It, was, it was worth it, yes. Oh, uh, if, if there's no other reason why you want to uh, watch The Wire, which is our main topic, just tune in. Yeah. It, being delivered season after season after season. Yeah. And yeah, uh, it's, anyways, it's not pivotal to the story, so don't worry. It's not a spoiler. It's just yeah. it's a it's a flourish. It's a um, flourish. It's an inflection. It's <laughs> yeah. an inflection. Uh so as you may have guessed, our main topic for this episode is uh, a very acclaimed show called The Wire. It was an American uh, crime drama TV series uh, created by former police reporter David Simon and a uh, former homicide detective Ed Burns, who was also a public school teacher for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it was set and produced in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, the Wire is different than normal cop shows in a sense because it introduces a different institution of the city and its relationship to law enforcement in each season uh, while retaining and advancing the characters and plots from previous seasons. Uh, the five subjects are the illegal drug trade, uh, the seaport system or the economy in Baltimore, the city government and bureaucracy, education system and uh, the print news medium. Um, so it is uh, not so much a story about a particular character it is a story about the city uh the different institutions that uh govern it and the people trapped by the inequities of said system um and it is uh like i mentioned a really really acclaimed show but i think a lot of people since its inception i think about 15 to 20 years ago have been afraid to to broach the wire just because it seems like a very dense very intimidating very intellectual show and I wanted to kind of make this a main topic because 
yes, it is all those things, but it's also primarily number one entertaining. Mm-hmm. It's informative and it's humanist, uh, and it is not as big of a challenge as you might think it is to watch it, like, Which is why I wanted to talk about it uh, this week. Yeah. So when Hit and I were kind of, uh, we we discussed uh, having the why as one of our main topics, right? Uh, and then we just kind of listed all the people that we knew who watched The Wire and would probably <laughs> want to talk about it. And we literally got like like a handful uh, right. about it. And like uh, we we've been we've been on a run and we were just trying to see like you know there's so many good things that people kind of like miss out on because like the misconceptions or like um, just not giving the material a chance, right? And even if you do say Charles that you're you're like a casual fan of The Wire, like even those are rare to find. You sure. know, so like, don't it's, have... it's it's like saying I'm I'm a fan of of Prince or a fan of like Joni Mitchell, right? When yeah. have such a huge body of work and it's so dense, it's like <laughs> oh, man, you can't even call yourself a fan because they just have so much content. I feel like The Wire is the same thing. Like you know, I, I probably watched the show uh, maybe three or four times, and even then, I'm still like crap. This is like I'm just skimming the surface. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, there's a lot to go through. It's more than yeah. like sixty episodes over the five seasons, and so mm. there's there's plenty that people there's plenty there for people to kind of read into, and it kind of ballooned in 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 into what it is now, or the reputation that it has right now. So let's just start off with like, um, you know, how did you guys like discover uh the wire? Was it like recommended to you? And and Charles, maybe you could go first. I was in like Australia, so I just moved to Melbourne after like sec two. Um, mm-hmm. I think a friend recommended it to me or something. I can't really remember. Um, and back then, you know, it's just like, you know, we go to like Blockbuster Video and <laughs> rent DVDs. Yeah. So like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll just give this a shot. And, you know, I've never, you know, I've never watched a HBO series. <laughs> I've never been to America, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And like, so it was, it was surprisingly like just easy to watch at the time i don't know why like there was something very uh surreal about Mm -hmm. the way everything was shot and just the the fact that there was no music and that the the scenes were really long and at first i was like yeah okay this is potentially boring yeah but i don't know maybe you know when you're like 15 you just have nothing else to do and she's like okay let's just see where this goes (laughs) and um yeah i just got hooked after like a couple of episodes but i think like you just need to get over that initial like initial yeah thing. yeah and then um so yeah and then i i just started you know buying you know the rest of the the, the, the seasons oh and, wow uh, yeah, so yeah. You, at one point in time you actually own the dvds to i think i still do buy. like it, it's somewhere in, like at home in in melbourne i have all the, the like the box set yeah. of it yeah, we're yeah. really dating ourselves with uh, talking about yeah. DVD blockbusters yeah. and shit. It's how about you? How how did you come across uh, the wire? Um, I mean, I I have and always been um an avid TV watcher, and especially in the early two thousands, HBO was pretty much the shit. You know, uh-huh. the, the Sopranos, uh, mm. Deadwood, um, pretty much the innovator and the inventor of what we now call prestige television, mm-hmm. um, adult oriented deep and dense and nuanced portrayals of characters. Uh, HBO is pretty much the forefather of that. And through it all, through all the conversations that I've been reading from reviewers and critics, everyone keeps ranking The Wire above The Sopranos, which blew my mind <laughs> at the time because 
um, I thought The Sopranos was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. Um, so I had to give The Wire a shot. And keep in mind, um, I was actually watching The Wire uh, in season one. I, I got I started watching week to week season two onwards. Oh, shit. But I watched it. Yeah, but I watched season one uh, by binging it. And how I did that was, keep in mind, this was 2002. Torrents weren't really a thing then. Mm-hmm. It was impossible to get. So what I did was, and I can't believe I'm admitting this, but I, I got um, the episodes on Kazaa. Uh-huh. Um, and <laughs> as, as you can imagine with my dial-up modem, it took forever to download. You know, like one episode took seven days, seven to nine days to download. Oh, shit. Uh, so I, I put a lot of effort in, into downloading this 240p <laughs> <laughs> video quality just to watch the first season of The Wire. And even then, I was blown wow. away. Um, that's when I, I started buying the DVDs. So I, I went on Amazon. I waited for the season to finish. Waited for six months. HBO would put out the DVDs. And then I would order them. And I would ship them. And it cost me a sh- lot of money. A shit ton of money. Oh, man. Uh, but it, it was worth it. Because I felt... The Wire was so unlike anything else I had seen on television. Mm-hmm. Um, it was unlike the prototypical anti-hero um, cinematic TV that uh, HBO did in, in The Sopranos and Deadwood. It was a story about um, a community. Uh, it was a story about uh, politics and it was a story about the, the institutions uh, that govern America, uh, of which I had no idea. Uh, I was fairly uneducated at the time, or unenlightened, and The Wire was one of my uh, first insights into things like that. Mm-hmm. Secondly, um, it kind of children host you with the premise of a cop show. <laughs> um, That's a good word. Yeah. Uh, it it started out like a cop show and there were a ton of like really gritty cop shows out there back, back then, like The Shield and all that or NYPD Blue. Uh, but it, it tricked you with the premise of a cop show. Oh, there's these cops hunting these drug dealers and these gangs. And then it became so much more. Um, I think the, the opening of season two really either uh, cemented for me how good it was or for other people could have been a stumbling block because it's like, hey, what? who are all these white uh, dog workers in season two? You know? Mm. Um, that's when I, I started really seeing that The Wire was a different kind of show. It wasn't trying to be about a specific person, mm-hmm. a specific community. It was about the city and the ecosystem of that city and how they all intersect. Uh, but in a very humanist way. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that that's how I discovered The Wire. Wow, okay. Uh, for, I mean, I, I think I kind of have... I didn't get the DVD. So for me, I got jumped on The Wire fairly late. Uh, I think this was in like university, so you know, um, you you there were more ways of getting your hands on on, on media. Uh, definitely not downloading the wire through through a literal wire uh, <laughs> anymore. Um, but yeah, so for me, uh, everything was available to binge for me. So I think like this was maybe like third year or fourth year in university when I when I managed to to get my hands on that. Uh, I got turned on to it by actually I think it might have been you hits. I can't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were having a chat about it with someone, and I was just like, oh, "Okay, cool." You know, I had some time on my hands, and and uh, essentially after I think maybe the first four or five episodes, I got really into it. So the switch from season to season, um, from season one to season two, actually was a big thing. I was just like, because I wasn't expecting it, I hadn't gone to read up about it or anything of the sort, right? Mm-hmm. Just based off your recommendation, I was going to go and watch it. Uh, so when they switch the scenes and all that, and they're all these kind of, I was like, oh wow, is this something they're gonna do like all the time? And it turned out to be the case. 
Um, but it's fascinating to just just kind of see the sprawling kind of like uh, landscape that they're trying to cover right you know, within the series itself. Okay, cool. Um, I mean, like the the wire, uh, sixty episodes, right? You got you got five seasons, and you've got like a variety of topics. Uh, for uh, you hits. Is there any one particular season that stands out to you? Uh, in terms of its content or the themes that it was talking about. Definitely. Um, for me, my my personal favorite season was season four, mm-hmm. which uh, focused on the youth of Baltimore and in the failure of the education system mm-hmm. in Baltimore. Yeah. Um, every season it, it is very good. You know, um, whether it was focused on the police department or city hall or or the Baltimore Sun, which is the newspaper that covered everything. Uh, but season four really gave me an insight into how the people became like this as adults. Mm-hmm. How the system has failed uh, the African-American community or uh, people of lower class income um, into, I'm not going to say that they didn't have a choice, but yep. they were pretty much uh, basically, there, there, were, there were few tracks for them for success or to earn an income. Mm-hmm. And this is how they got into the drug game. And this is how uh, the innocence was lost for an entire generation of uh, African-American kids. And it keeps happening over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what I, I really, really loved about season four. As well as the kind of redemption arc for a character called uh, Presbyluski, mm. who is the pretty much poster boy for po- police brutality in season one. Yeah. Uh, and he, he just grew into a different person. Um, yeah, that, that, that was my favorite season for me. Cool, cool. Yeah, I love season four too. Um, Charles, what about you? Uh, no particular. I think thing that like I think I really liked all of them. Maybe season three. Mm-hmm. Um, just yeah, the season three was when. Oh no, I was just sorry. I was just about to give a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, I think that the the character arcs like uh, of of how they start and finish. I won't say. Ooh, but, uh, <laughs> almost, almost spoiled it. Oh, almost, um, almost. Like, yeah, yeah, but but I, I think that was like it was quite satisfying for me, and also I I thought like it was going to end in in season three as well because like there was such a such important characters, right? Yeah. But as you know, the, the whole point of the wire is that the wheel keeps on turning, and yeah, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, there's just so many characters to work with. It just keeps sprawling, like you said, and uh, yeah, it just keeps going. Yeah. So, uh, I do. I, I think uh-huh. like so, so. At the end of every season, there's like this really kind of long montage, you know, with the soundtrack, and then there's no soundtracks like during the the, the, the show except yeah. till, except until the end, right? Yeah, yeah. So like, I think I, I like like season fives the most. I think it just wrapped everything up really nicely, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah, I think that was quite a very poignant, um, you know, like moment of like television. Yeah, yeah, definitely like the wrap up uh, episode at the end of everything is one mm. of the kind of standout things. Uh, I didn't, I mean, of course, like you only realize that, you know, they're going to be doing it every season, uh, past season two, uh, but it definitely is one of those things that you don't find uh, very often anymore, right? Hits? Yes, um, 100%. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like ending a show of this magnitude with uh, a perfect ending um, is almost impossible. Um, we've seen the, the kind of divisive reaction specifically for the Sopranos mm-hmm. uh, finale or the Game of Thrones finale, both of which are HBO shows, by the way, um, or the Deadwood finale, which, I mean, to be <laughs> fair to Deadwood, they, they were cancelled, so it wasn't meant to be a finale. 
but Vawaya wrapped up in such a beautiful way in encompassing the story of the city through how the city is perceived outside of it, you know, yeah. uh, through journalism. Um, the mass media is how we think about uh, a lot of things that we are not intimately involved in and how do people view Baltimore other than through how the local journalists cover Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, and to, to have the final season set in a newsroom, uh, obviously, uh, David Simon is a newsman, an old school newsman. And I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, the social media people who post <laughs> random things on BuzzFeed. I mean, like he was an actual reporter mm. uh, covering crime for 12 of those years. He covered uh, City Hall for three years and he covered it, the economy for two years. So this is how he knows about the situation. So, and his writing partner, Ed Burns, obviously was a school teacher as well as who, who did uh, season four. And I think it lent a lot of uh, realism uh, to the depictions of these people because... Most of these characters, like you said, this this sprawl of characters across all walks of life are based on real people. They are mm-hmm. composite of real life Baltimore characters. Like for example, um probably the the most famous character to have come out of the wire is Omar Little, yeah. who has become a hero <laughs> of sorts. Um if you don't know who uh, Omar Little is based on, just go and Google uh, Donny Andrews. He is the real-life Omar Little. He was the stick-up the stick guy, the guy who walks in the middle of the street with a shotgun, and he just so happens to be gay. Um, that was a real guy. Like, <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I had no idea. Wow. That's crazy. David Simon didn't make him up. Right, like Donny right. Andrews is a real guy. Yeah. Oh, wow. uh, and, and you can read up about him if you want to. Crazy. I was just about to yeah. say, like, wow, like, I wonder, like, how did they come up with <laughs> with the last <laughs> character? But yeah, that's that's insane. Okay, I'll, I'll have some more homework to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, I I really like season three because of like they, it just goes like for me it just, excuse me, they kept like hammering in the point of like how you know, like humans try to change right mm-hmm. but like like everything has become so institutionalized even like even the streets has its own system mm-hmm. and no matter how you try to fix things or you try to like you know change variables to fix the problem that be- that causes its you know its own thing you know yes. and uh, yeah so so in season three they uh i think they talked about this thing called like hamsterdam mm-hmm. <laughs> actually they tried to like legalize the illegal drug trade you know, yeah, and then like prostitution and all that. Um, so that was like for me, like quite interesting. I really like the uh, major Colvin character mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, he's he's reoccurring, right? You see him all the way through to season five, I think. Yeah, so I think that that season for some reason resonated a lot with mm. me. Mm. Yeah, definitely. But like you know, it's frigging depressing. <laughs> <laughs> that's why maybe that's why it resonated well with me. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Isa. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to kind of like, okay. So here's the hard part, right? Like, we love the wire. We love everything that that comes along with it. But if we, um, how would you pitch the wire to to someone today, right? And say like, look, you know, you've got a bunch of time on your hands, uh, and the wire is a really good TV show and extremely timely as well, right? It's been almost a decade since it ended. Uh, but mm-hmm. with the times that we're living in right now and everything that's going on in the States, especially, um, mm-hmm. you know, like keeping that in mind, like how would you pitch uh, The Wire to someone who, who you know, is, has either written it off because it's not their type of thing, and, which is fine, uh, you know, but has never given it a chance just because, you know, it, it's become kind of like a monster on its own in terms of its reputation among, um, you know, uh, a, a, as a TV series. 
Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, wow, it's difficult. Um, <laughs> I would suggest not framing it as a cop show because they will quickly realize it is not a cop show. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a trick. It's a nice children horse back in 2002 to get uh, suckers like me to watch it uh, and then you know be enwrapped in something else. Mm-hmm. I would frame it as uh, a really almost documentary esque. It is how realistic it is. It's almost documentary esque. Yeah. A look at how America became what it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it's insight into uh, police brutality or the culture of police brutality, the misguided drug war, the governmental and bureaucratic policies that prey on the poor. Uh, those are things that the wire didn't invent. They were they were around long before today. They were around during the wire, and they were around long before the wire. And the wire allows you a look at the, the levers and the mechanisms uh, of societal divisions that uh, that have kind of ruined America. Yeah. Um, it was one of the first few shows that really um, explicitly pointed out that these capitalistic mechanisms are not viable. They are not humanist, and they are in fact cruel. Uh, and that is how, basically how I would pitch it, like mm. in in a to a Black Lives Matter uh, aware audience. Mm. Mm. Charles, I wonder, like, I, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it's like you know, if someone watches it, be like, yeah, this is too real. It's like this is like watching a a documentary now, you know, like, and I mean, you know, you can even argue that this is kind of like as close as the, what you can call to like like a fictional, like a, a someone coined it right, like a documentary cinema type. You know, it's its own genre in itself because it's just so realistic the way it's portrayed, and mm. mm-hmm. uh, so like he's even trying to tell a story, even though it's it's very intricate. But like the way he sets it up, it's just you know, it's it's amazing. Um, I don't know. I I feel <laughs> like I feel like it's 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 something that that uh, you just have to spend a bit of time to get over that initial like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, any inertia in the first couple of episodes, but once you just get the ball rolling, I think it's like okay, I'm invested in all these guys now and these characters, and I want to know not just what happens, but like um, I just want to see how how deep the the rabbit hole goes. Mm, mm, you know? mm-hmm. Yeah, I think most people would would I don't know, man. Then again, attention spans these days, yeah, yeah. it's tricky. Like like if you think like if The Wire was released like today. Yes. Like, would it be? Wow, that is a... be as successful, or that that's a, that, that's quite question. a hard. That's quite a hard, like hypothetical, right? Because so many things would probably be done differently if David Simon were to release something now. But mm. yeah, I, what I, you, you know, what do you think? It if it was I, if it was released for the time we are, we have now. Um, that's a nice like fantasy question. Yeah. Um, it's it's difficult to say because there are so many shows right now who were influenced by The Wire. Yeah. Um, that it's hard because you know, uh, The Wire came out at the wrong time. To be honest, it was way ahead of its time, and it, actually, I think it would actually play better today mm. because I think the general youth the are not as apathetic anymore. Yeah. They care more about issues. Mm. They care. They care more about how their governments work, how their police work, uh, how do uh, you frame good guys and bad guys in fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they would 
really embraced this show, um, especially season one, because there's been a lot of uh, arguments uh, in light of you know Black Lives Matter and everything about how uh, pop culture, specifically TV, represents the police. Mm-hmm. Um, they are always the good guys. They're always the main characters. Their stories matter more than the criminals. Their stories matter more than the victims. And, and season one, right out of the bat, kind of presents this look at how broken and flawed and, and racist American policing is. And it's an indictment of the system but like not in a one-sided way. Yes, there are good cops, but there are plenty more bad cops. And it's not the case of, you know, just like having a few bad apples. It's the culture in these precincts and stations that teaches officers to dehumanize a, a segment of the civili- of the civilian population. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you get characters like Huck and, and Presbyluski who are not inherently evil people. Yeah. They are just products of the culture and environment that they grew up in. This is how they were taught. Uh, and that is what you need to reform. Right. Um, and I think by ha- presenting a really uncomfortable, unvarnished look uh, at those ki- those kinds of systems mm-hmm. uh, is the only way that we can teach people that this is what's wrong and this is what we need to fix specifically mm-hmm. without necessarily dehumanizing the cops themselves. Like yeah. they're not inherently bad people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 an interesting question you're posing, Charles. Like I, I mean, for me. You know, just with with all the news that's coming, kind of flooding in, and and all of that, like it feels like the wire is something that I would pitch to someone who's having trouble just kind of understanding what's going on. Right? Mm-hmm. It's been ten years. It's been more than ten years. Uh, two thousand eight. Right? Was it last? Was season five? Don't, was it? 2000, uh, yeah, two thousand. 2008. Yeah, 2008 was the last season. So like we're a good twelve years past past this, right? Um, but I think for me. I would, I would pitch this as like, look, if you want a kind of a look into, a very realistic look into why things are the way they are right now, mm-hmm. I think you need to watch The Wire. Right. At, least, at least for me, I think it's important to watch like season one, three, and, and four, you know, with, with the police and then of course like law enforcement and, and policymaking and bureaucracy and then of course with the education system, which are kind of like the big three things that are, that are, you know, on everyone's minds right now. Yeah. You know, and that, uh, is is how I would pitch it. Like mm. past the fact that it being a cop show, or past the fact that you know it is one of the the best series like I've ever watched, or, or people regard it as one of the best TV series, of, um, ever made. Uh, it's a it's 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 a very vast and diverse and detailed and ridiculously realistic look at America, ten years ago, uh, mm. and how in that ten years it has boiled over to to the situation that we see now, mm. um, and. I don't know if that I mean like people might be just fatigued right from from all the all the news and and the yeah. activism that's going on right now like it's it's tiring emotionally mm. and mentally to have to kind of cope with that but if I think if people have questions I would point them to like you know here's a piece of fiction sure but like it's probably as close as you're going to get to having an insight especially when we are not we are like we are divorced from the actual situation going on in the states mm. right like we're one step mm. removed from that and we're only getting the news that we are getting on social media and and right. A news outlet and stuff like that. So yeah, I think it would do fairly well um, in this day and age. I, I think um, the popularity of other shows like the new Watchmen series and things like that, like very timely, <laughs> more, mm-hmm. more extremely timely. You know, mm-hmm. and questions. Yeah, yeah, questions um, yeah. for the moment. Okay. Yeah. I, I would. I would also like point out. Like, I think season two and five are, are pretty relevant too. Yeah. Um. The season two kind of dealt with globalization, mm. which led to the death of manual labor in America. Yep. Um. 
this is why the economy is tanking. This is why people with quote unquote low skills uh, can't do anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in season five, it talks about the death of journalism and the rise of sensationalism. Yeah. Uh, in in uh, newspaper reporting or in news, uh, which is kind of we 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 kind of see the the zenith of that today, like, with the internet. Mm. You know? um, th- those are all really prescient and really important too. I think. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. All and right, you cool. become sympathetic to, like you were saying, like you don't they don't paint them as like bad necessarily, like you know, bad in character, but yeah. you become sympathetic mm. to why they co- they have to choose or, or why they chose like a life of crime or you know just kind of close one eye on certain things and then yeah i yeah. think that's that's one very strong feeling that you know i, I get surrounded surrounding the surrounding the entire series just like yeah you just feel sympathetic like just mm-hmm. go you feel really hopeless like oh man okay the problem is like way bigger than all of us there's mm-hmm. nothing we can do about it and you just feel really sorry and like at least it helps you understand that there's no like easy solution to you know and that you can't just blame you can't point a finger at one thing and, yeah yeah, yeah I, I guess that's that's what I got out of watching the whole thing. Yeah, it's really not neat, isn't it? Like for for a quote unquote cop show, like mm. every cop show ends with the guy is on trial, we yeah. got him, you know. Yeah. Um, it's closure, it, right? There's closure. The end of the thing about the wire is there's no closure for mm. anyone, yeah. and it's it's frustrating, but at the same time re- realistic too, right. you know. But maybe that's um, why that's why people didn't like it. That's why it didn't pick up. Mm. It's because people want. To escape from real life, <laughs> they, they don't <laughs> want the truth. They just, they just, they want the the easy narrative, you know, the the entertainment, right? And and yeah. So I don't know. I wouldn't know how to convince someone to watch this other than like literally just, hey, do you have time? Let's just, I'm gonna make you sit here <laughs> for at yeah. least four hours and like, yeah, let's just let's just watch this and then hopefully you'll be hooked by the fourth episode. <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of how I would I would like, try to get someone on, into it. Yeah. I do agree that the the biggest strength of the wire is also its biggest drawback. Mm. You know what you were talking about its realism, uh, how dense it is, and and kind of the unvarnished um cinematic nature of it yeah. because there isn't really any cinematic flourish to the wire intentionally. Mm. You know, it's you, David Simon is not trying to make this look cool because yeah. it's not cool. Yeah. You know, uh, and th- that's kind of the point. But I think it, it might also be the thing that turns people away mm-hmm. if they're not into that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. There's no dramatic tension, but like, but then again, there's like a sense of dread <laughs> that just <laughs> goes throughout the whole thing, you know, with moments you of know. like, you know, humor and whatnot. But um, yeah, anyway, yeah. Sorry, you were saying. If, if if I do have like a one small complaint about the wire is um for me as a person who loves it, there was one particular scene that is so stylized that it felt out of place in the wire. It is a. Sh- you, it's not a spoiler, but it's kind of an old westy showdown between a character called Brother Muzon and Omar Leto in, in an alley mm. um, that felt so ridiculously out of the movies <laughs> that it, it, it didn't feel real. Mm. But it was cool to watch. Like, I, I got a kick out of that scene. It just didn't feel in place. And, and that is my only complaint about the watch. <laughs> that one scene. <laughs> That's so much of a complaint, I guess. Maybe because, yeah. maybe because like, they, they wanted to give you know, Omar like that. That payoff because everyone's just rooting for this anti-hero right i think like out of mm-hmm. all the characters he's one of the strongest ones everyone be like yeah this guy's a badass mm. and you want him it's to true. win whatever war he's fighting yeah it's true but david simon was also careful to point out that um omar isn't someone you should necessarily be rooting for i think that's a scene true. in season two where, where bunk uh one of the homicide detectives mm. just choose, choose him out you know he has this folk hero robin hood-esque um reputation and bunk just 
systematically just destroys every fallacy that there, there right. is. Mm-hmm. Like this, this is not a hero. You should not be looking up. You know, um, he is a murderer and he is a <laughs> he is a criminal and he's a bad person. You know, and and let's not romanticize this. True. True. <laughs> yeah. But they still gave the fans what they want. <laughs> yes, yeah, they, they they played it both ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yes. So yeah, I mean that's that's kind of all the questions that I have now. Uh, any kind of like final thoughts before we kind of wrap wrap up this section? Um, you know, without recommendation. I was, I was thinking, like, do you think if if they had if if they were renewed, do you think it could have gone on for longer, or like Ooh. explore other? You know, would would you like would you want to see that? Hmm. Um, I know that his I, writing partner didn't continue in season five, and yep. I I read a few negative reviews, which I don't necessarily agree with uh, about mm-hmm. season five. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, wondering what you think. Um, I do think season five had a bit of cracks in it. Like it wasn't a bad season by any means. It was yeah. an exceptional season. Um, I just felt that like David Simon, with regards to this, that David Simon was a bit too close to the topic yeah. of journalism. Yeah. Right. Like he didn't treat it with the kind of objectivity that he treated the mm. other subjects, mm. um, and it felt almost personal and a bit emotionally uh, charged. <laughs> a bit like emotionally charged. Taking taking snipes at everything, like being snarky about. Yeah, like like he had it was agenda driven. Yeah, which, which I I didn't feel the other seasons were agenda driven. They had points to make, mm-hmm. yeah. but it wasn't a personal. David Simon feels angered at the state of journalism today point, you know, right. himself, right? Yeah. Uh, but that being said, it was still a remarkable season. As for if The Wire could continue, um, I think it could continue at infinitum, yeah. to be honest, mm-hmm. with, uh, with just an entirely new cast. It is a story of how a city keeps evolving. But you don't need to, mm. I think. Um, the, the Wire already made a point that, yeah, the wheel keeps turning. Mm. Um, you know, uh, like Stringer turns into Marlo. Uh, the new generation takes over. It becomes different. We don't need to keep seeing it over and over again. Yeah. I, that 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 will be a bit uh, depressing, you know. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> you just the, see the one. Rep- you just see one life cycle, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the repetition of hopelessness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Just one. One life is enough. Yes. Right. Right. In, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well. What were you guys are like? What, do you think you could have continued? Uh, I don't know if I wanted to. You know, like yeah. so much has been said. Uh, so much so that we 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 keep revisiting it, right? Like mm-hmm. time after time, well, like hits you like four or five times. Charles yourself as well. I, I've watched it maybe three times in totality, uh, and you continue kind of like discovering things. I think like it it had something to say, right? In a very kind of like unapologetic and very raw way. Uh, mm. And the context around us has changed, but the medium has stayed the same. Like like the wire has stayed the same, you know. But our understanding of it has has kind of like evolved over time, you know. So yes, I I, yeah. I agree with hits here. I I think like if we had to go through like another round mm. of that, I I might just have stopped watching, you know. <laughs> because what about like, like hmm. sorry. Wait. Uh yeah, so I I might just not watching just because because there's a there's a deep sense of existential, uh, like anxiety that comes from watching The Wire sometimes, right? Like there's certain yeah, episodes where sure. after that you're just like, oh my god, like I need a break, I need to I need to like chill yeah. out and like watch yeah. you know something else, um, mm. and I don't know how many more seasons of that I could possibly take, uh, mm. given that like what like real life is becoming a lot more like that for a lot of people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I don't know. Uh, I think it might have done a couple more seasons. I'm I'm sure there would be like a couple of topics that Damon Simon had on the table that he mm-hmm. might wanted to do, and he would have done a really good job of it. But I don't think I would be able to do another cycle. You know, like much like right. it says. Yeah, you saying? Yeah. Oh no, just yeah. I was just wondering, like maybe it's like a location, uh, or, or Ooh. Like, if he had to pick a couple more you know, locations that he could potentially explore. You know, and just kind mm-hmm. of go deep, understand the, you know, the systemic faults mm. within them. I would say that David Simon has already kind of done that. I mean, he followed up the wire with a show called Trumi, mm. which kind of followed. Uh, you know the jazz scene and yeah. and uh, the black community in New Orleans post Katrina, mm. uh, and then he did a deuce about the rise of uh, pornography and street prostitution in New York in the nineteen seventies. Right, right. Uh, uh, you know all his shows are pretty much the wire <laughs> in the film. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you know, so I guess the cycle did continue. Just the cycle did continue. Yeah. Just in a different packaging. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, I have seen a couple of like episodes of Trimmy, but maybe now is the time to. To get into it yeah definitely i would say that every, everything david simon touches is, is is golden obviously the the wire is is the benchmark for most fictional television i consider it to be the best show ever made but mm-hmm. um ever uh, every david simon show is worth a watch uh not all are as good as the wire mm. but they're all great yeah yeah definitely yeah if, all right also oh, you do consider the wire as like the best show made la, like on your personal ranking um yes i mean it's it's kind of it's kind of changed here and there uh lately because i've seen some newer shows that that broach the quality of the wire um but it's difficult because they're not apples to apples or uh or apples already you know it's it's like how do you compare like fleabag to the wire they're different shows Mm. both are perfect in their own way and in in their artistic intentions but they're different things uh, like you know like the godfather is a perfect movie so it's toy story (laughs) How 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 do you compare them? It's uh, but I I do consider the Y to be one off uh for best shows ever made. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, and any concluding thoughts, uh, Isa and and um, and Charlie. Um, uh, you go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I I think like uh to our listeners who are listening to this particular episode, if you haven't given the wire a chance, I I think you should. Um, I much like we've discussed already. Like it's a very, it's a deep and very insightful look, an uncomfortable look, nonetheless, right? Uh, mm-hmm. in into the systems of 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 control and governance and and of the underground uh, that kind of like mesh together in this kind of huge network of things that are so much so out of con- our control. But you know, uh, you it's inspiring to see sometimes the little acts that these actors within within the system get to get to portray their humanity and i think like even though a lot of the time the wire feels depressing and puts people into a, a, a bit of a state of existential angst that it has its moments where we really do see that you know um, at, at the core of it is about the people um yeah. and the stories that they 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 um that david simon is telling on their behalf basically and um there's hope in that as well so highly recommend it um from all three of us Mm, um yeah. but yeah that's it on my side of things yeah uh charlie any any final thoughts before before we cap off <laughs> not really i think you covered you guys covered it very very well um nice it's it's a it's a great human drama like, that's what it's all mm. like mm. what you were saying before it comes from a very human place and you know despite all the existential 
text and trend <laughs> and, uh, the over realism can it something be too realistic i don't know but um, yeah this would be to me like the that show he you know they've done an amazing job and yeah if you're just a fan of like television you know like well-made mm. drama or even well-made documentaries like i think you should just watch it just because you know it's yeah it's very very underrated yeah i i agree it's it's one of the most underrated shows out there it's gotten a lot of acclaim yet never won an emmy uh its viewership startlingly low um less than a million uh, every week for every episode um it's really sad but it has become this kind of cult phenomenon and and i know we've talked a lot about its critiques of uh, american institutions from the education system to the policing to city hall to the economy uh and while it is very critical of american institutions it is hopeful of individuals mm, yeah that they that they can make a difference and they can change it's a struggle uh and i mean bubbles is pretty much the encapsulation yeah. of what david simon is trying to say mm. about someone who has been trapped in a co- in in inequality uh and in uh substance abuse issues and and class divisions and all that but the final scene of the wire uh amazingly metaphorical was uh bubbles uh walking up you know uh going up from the basement into the living room to meet his family um and it's a it's a message of hope in the end mm. also you know it, it's hopeful of people mm. that mm. that people can make a difference uh so yeah it is depressing but at the same time you know there is hope light at the end of the tunnel uh and and that's what i love about the, the wire it's explorations of uh uh race poverty the death of the working class and the political systems through a very human lens not not through statistics you know like like shows like the west wing or the newsroom like to throw out numbers at you yeah. this that uh this is about people and how it it practically affects their lives mm. uh yeah one of one of the best shows of all time um and and thanks so much charlie for coming on man yeah man no really worries thanks that. for having me well i mean thanks let... for making me rewatch the wire <laughs> <laughs> i mean if you want to watch Trume, you're right we would be glad to have you back a, a couple i mean like somewhere down the line really yeah maybe phase three yeah, maybe, maybe phase three, right? I mean, like, it, it's talking about jazz and New Orleans and all that. And, like, mm-hmm. sure, why not? Um, let, yeah. let us know if you're keen. I'll, yeah. I'll be down to do that. Cool. Uh, definitely, man. Uh, anything to plug before you leave, Charlie? Like, do you have anything new out there that you want people to watch or see or listen to? <laughs> not really. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm just releasing, like, you know, collaborations and singles here and there like, this year. This year is just, like, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of don't want to stay in my own head too much so i am i'm mm-hmm. enjoying working with with different people and just yeah. coming yeah. up with different things without being attached to one particular sound or aesthetic so yeah, yeah. okay well that, since charlie is not gonna to not gonna plug his socials we'll plug it for him uh you can follow <laughs> you can follow charlie Lim on facebook uh on his other profile you can also find him on instagram under the yeah. handle where was charlie thanks yeah i only do wire commentaries on my instagram so <laughs> tune in <laughs> My stories. Um, thanks, guys. I really appreciate this, and uh, it was really fun to to hang out. And uh, that was Charlie with our long conversation about the wire. Uh, once again, thanks so much to him for coming on. Um, yeah. I think uh, the forty minutes or so we spent talking about the wire isn't nearly enough to to cover such a <laughs> such a deep show. But we 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 touched upon what we can without spoiling it. Uh, hopefully, if you haven't seen the wire, please go check it out. It's available on HBO, HBO Now, HBO Go, HBO Max, all the HBOs out there. Um, one of the best shows of all time, in my opinion, and in mm. all of our, 
in all our opinions uh, exactly uh but uh we will be moving on to the second half of uh, our podcast now this is where um isa and myself we recommend to each other things that we haven't seen before um and i recommended to isa uh, a hulu dramedy called rami and isa uh, finally plucked uh, the biggest glaring hole in my um, Studio Ghibli. Uh, what, I'm, I'm a big Studio Ghibli fan, don't get me wrong. Like I've seen every Studio Ghibli film except for two. And one of them is Nausicaa of, uh, of the Valley of the Wind, uh, which is a pretty seminal anime. Uh, a shame that I've not seen yeah. it until now, but I'm going to get into it. The other one I haven't seen is Boko Rosso. Uh, but I'd, otherwise... I. I don't know. I just felt ashamed that I haven't seen Oscar, so I had to like get it out of the way. Like. I have, I have well, seen. I'm a, I'm a Ghibli fan, but you know, it okay te- on a technicality, right? It's yeah, not. Uh, it's considered a Ghibli film, but the yep. film was released before the founding of the studio. Correct. Yeah, so it's, it's a, a Miyazaki. Miyazaki. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Correct, correct. I mean, it it, it yeah. is released oh. on the on the Studio Ghibli catalog if you are looking out for it, lah. But yes, yeah. you, you're right. It's before Studio Ghibli existed. Yeah, we'll get into that later. Let's talk about Rami. Yes, uh, Rami is... Man, how do I describe Rami? Okay, Rami is <laughs> a, a, an American comedy drama series uh, that is available on Hulu. It stars uh, Egyptian-American comedian Rami Yusuf as the titular character. Uh, and in season two, Mahashala Ali joins as in a recurring role as a supporting oh, star. Um, the series basically is has been praise for its nuanced, unvarnished portrayal of American Muslims uh, when uh, most Western pop culture depictions are usually uh, either as terrorists or as the, the corner shop people. Uh, but this really delves deep into uh, Muslim Americans and specifically millennial Muslims. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the kind of um, the eternal grappling between uh, millennial anxiety and Western influences and growing up in a Western culture versus uh, your desire to keep your faith, to be religious, and, and how does that co- coalesce in, in your self-identity? Um, and uh, Rami, to me, uh, last year was one of my favorite uh, shows uh, out there. Um, and, and part of this kind of wave of great new dramedies coming out from very... Uh, with, from auteurs that have a very specific specific vision, you know, from yeah. Phoebe Waller-Bridge to Donald Glover and people of that ilk, right? Uh, they have a very specific vision about what they want to, and it's uh, it's the specificity of Rami that that really appealed to me. Um, by now, Isa has seen, I think, both seasons of uh, Rami. Uh, maybe yeah. would you care to give some like uh, opening thoughts? Yeah. Um. So. Uh, given when you recommended this to me, right, to watch uh, for, for this podcast, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't quite read up on anything. I, I got the general gist of the idea. I mean, it it fa- it falls into those cat- one of the categories that we've we've actually been doing quite a fair bit of, like with uh, interesting kind of like perspectives uh, from the viewpoint of a difficult protagonist, I mind you, much like Fleabag, much like uh, Barry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I went into it like um, not necessarily... Uh, knowing what to expect, um, you know, outside of what you told me, uh, and it is extremely relatable, despite the fact that I, I, uh, I'm, I'm not Muslim, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, just like from from some sometimes like the anecdotes that you know yourself or some of our other guys, um, share with me about like it, it feels, uh, relatable in a very kind of different way, right? Like with the whole, it, it's not too far divorced from some millennial Asian experiences, I would say. 
like in general in terms of like the family and in terms of like how we view religion in general all of that mm. but the details of it right the specifics of the way that the story is told uh and the relationships of 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 rami and his family and his relationship with religion and the state of re- uh religion in general in the uh in its setting um you know took me by surprise and it's very nuanced and it's very um difficult in parts to kind of grapple with you know uh and it's mm-hmm. very insightful i think like a lot of these things uh aren't i i know of but have not seen a portrayal um that that i've seen that uh season 1 for me was pretty enjoyable like i think i got um fairly invested in the story that they were telling and it was a fair bit more lighthearted i think uh, as compared to season 2 i think going into season 2 uh like i was just telling you earlier i i found it more difficult to watch just because i think like rami as as the protagonist became uh, pretty unbearable i i think mm. it was some point in like uh episode 3 or episode 4 of season 2 yep. that i was just like wow i don't really feel like like finishing this just because um it's it got to a point where by his uh Oh there was a lot of goodwill that was kind of built up right like you know he he wants to be a good muslim you know he's trying to put his life back on track he's aware that there are certain faults in him that uh you know that he wants to correct and he's on kind of this path this journey right of of discovery of himself and and mm-hmm. and his place in the world uh and like all of that kind of falls apart you know within yep. the first couple of episodes of season 2 and that uh was tough to kind of like power true actually i mean like in the end i i do feel like it had a satisfactory kind of well not ending per se but you know it it wrapped up a lot of things it explored all the things that it brought up all the difficult kind of questions and you know the consequences of his actions and and the things that he's done and he said mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean it i do feel like it's an important um important series um yeah. just not the fact that it's entertaining and very well done but also the fact that it's very insightful for someone like me who is who doesn't uh know much about what a millennial muslim experience might be right mm. uh, yeah. speaking as a millennial muslim um a bit uncomfortably relatable for me um of course like this the show is made for a wide audience um yep. the the key or the touchstone of a great author is the yeah. is the ability to make uh something specific you know feel universal mm-hmm. um storytelling is an empathy machine and and we get we are placed into the shoes of rami and you see the world as a muslim millennial in a way that perhaps uh you wouldn't if you were just interacting with a friend who is a muslim or yep. or, or just like other western pop culture depictions of muslims as terrorists as a uh, corner shop mm-hmm. workers and, and and things like that um it is a beautiful balance about living the modern life and a devout life and and back when i was um i mean i was born a muslim but i don't practice anymore but yeah. having practiced you know islam and and the rituals and the prayers and and everything else um but comedy that is derived from that is ridiculously funny like it uh, <laughs> it's uh, the accuracy of um 
everything you know from 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 the prayers to taking the wudu which is like the the first scene you know uh to yeah. that scene where he's he's uh praying the morning prayers which is called subo outside of the diner and he encounters a friend who's asking him to pray for his uh <laughs> who's asking him to pray for i think his mother who has cancer <laughs> you know and he's trying to explain it doesn't work that way i can't i can't just pray, but he does it anyway i mean it's so relatable <laughs> yeah uh in a specificity uh in, in that i i would never thought would have been portrayed in in western media like i never thought there would yeah. be someone who is willing to uh pray and do dua in in a comedy show and find humor from it um it is um yeah it is the balance between friday periods and friday night uh, i think you know uh you know like uh, <laughs> what i like when i was younger you go to friday periods There's one thing, and then Friday night is a whole new thing, you know, and and that's kind of what Rami struggles with, and that's what I really got into in season one, which, as you said, was was a lot more lighthearted than season two. Like season one yeah. had is had his heavy issues as well, uh, with regards to nine eleven, with regards to uh, his mother, uh, especially, you know, uh, but season two mm. really, I think, even beyond Rami, kind of deconstructed uh, this idea of Muslim masculinity and how walled off it is. Yeah. Um, um, from you know everyone's racist uncle we all have a racist uncle uh and 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 rami is kind of unafraid to show how backward some older generation uh muslims are and i think uh yeah. we we all know this but are kind of afraid to tiptoe or we tiptoe around it because we're afraid to depict it accurately and and rami just like goes mm-hmm. head on into all the flaws of uh muslim men and muslim masculinity season two yeah basically delves into Rami specifically and how um, a misguided pursuit of religious redemption, you know, when you're when you're reborn or you know, uh, it, it can also reveals reveal one's truest, ugliest self uh, because Rami is using uh, Islam uh, as a as a almost a vanity project uh, to. It, it's hard to say. It's 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 he he has a mis he has a skewed understanding of Islam and he's using yeah. it to redeem himself. In the eyes yep. of other people, you know, so he he is misusing the religion, and and that, that's kind of the the premise of season two. Yeah, yeah. Um, it uh, on it. Okay, for me, a lot of the time, I think some of the standout episodes had nothing to do with Rami himself, mm-hmm. right? I think like the arcs that we we see, um, his sister, right, mm-hmm. and you know her scholarship and all of that, and and her um scare. A health scare that was connected with that. Like I really enjoyed those episodes. I also really enjoyed the episodes where we explore uh, his mom and just trying to like grapple with the with the modern world and all of that. Um, yep. it's, it's a lot of very very good storytelling and a lot of great kind of character development across the board for his entire family. Of course, Rami being kind of the linchpin and who's um, the person we follow the most, right? Like it really does help to kind of set up. Um, you know the the world in which you know the show lives in, and I appreciated that of a fair bit. I I do agree. Like I think R- Rami as a lead character is like his he is egocentric. Yeah. He is self involved and self obsessed. His Achilles heel is his inability to grasp the journey of restitution mm. via non egotistical means. Um, yeah. He exercises self imposed discipline without empathy. Yeah. Um. And and that is the key. And I think a lot of uh. Not necessarily just in Islam, but in a lot of religions, uh, people looking for redemption or restitution uh, have a misunderstanding of uh, 
or, or, or don't just misunderstand, misuse religion uh, yeah. for egotistical purposes. And and this is kind of a, it's ugly to watch Rami do it in season two. Uh, yeah. Intentionally so. Yeah. He made him incredibly unlikable. Uh, also intentionally so. Um, yeah. Unlike the character that he plays, Rami Youssef, the writer, creator, director, actor, is obviously self-aware of this. Mm-hmm. If not, he wouldn't be putting it on screen, right? Yep, absolutely. So th- th- that's the difference between Rami Yusuf and Rami the character. Rami is not self-aware and Rami Yusuf is. And I think the portrayal in season 2, as difficult as it is to watch, uh, really encapsulates uh, something important that Muslim men need to know yeah. about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, everything from his father to uh, his uh, uncle who and, and his storyline with uh, being a closeted gay man. Uh, it it really uh, explores the world in masculinity of of Muslim men and how destructive it can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> Mashallah Ali, though, mm, fantastic, phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. I think I stuck around <laughs> to watch uh, watch the, most of season two because of him. You know, I just yeah. an amazing kind of like that man is an amazing actor. You know, the kind of presence he has on screen and very, very honestly, like, it, it's hard to see Rami when Mashallah Ali is on screen. Um, yeah. You know, he just, he fits the role so perfectly. His delivery is just, like, so on point. I, I think uh, one of the standout moments with him in it is when he talks about, like, the his struggle between being a father and being a sheikh. Mm. Right? Like, that one speech was just, like, oof, so good. Such excellent acting. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, mm-hmm. uh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, no. Yeah. I was just saying that. Um, I I think like season two would have. Uh, it's great to have someone of that uh, ilk, you know, on board for season mm-hmm. two. I think like it added a great deal, as as a some as a counterpoint, right? Um, to kind of like what what Rami has been up to, um, going all along. At least there's there's someone there, there's a character there that kind of like. Uh, is the linchpin of the the season kind of to not just kind of show him the way right as is his role uh there but at the same time you know like it it helps to know that there are in in this very kind of like messed up Rami's messed up world right there is a a, a cornerstone in which like you know you can can plumb um the morality to I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think like Sheikh Ali and Marsha Ali's portrayal is is the best addition to the show. Um, yeah. He portrays, if you're not aware, a, a Sufi leader who who kind of offers a, a guide to to the troubled young protagonist that is Rami, um, and it's played with just such understated grace by mm. uh, by the two time Oscar winner. Um, he's kind of this figure of intense calm and and relaxed charisma. You know, as I think one of Rami's friends explains, uh, he is a radical bro, like cool radical, but not radical radical, which is a <laughs> hilarious line. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, yeah, I love that character, as, by the way. I know, I know. Uh, basically, he's he's a white friend who's a convert to Islam. Yeah. yeah. Um, fantastically hilarious. Uh, season two does have its standout moments as well. I mean, mm. kind of beyond Rami's uh, existential grappling. Um, he is. I I think one of the episodes where he visits uh this um Arab. <laughs> Arab billionaire um, at his palace yeah. to, to get to get money for the local church. Uh, it it kind of guessed us uh, Mia Khalifa as well. It's one of the most surreal bouts of comedy I've seen. Yeah. Um, everything from from drinking Mia Khalifa's breast milk to uh, to Rami meaning archer in Arabic. At, yeah. At, uh, I'm not I'm not going to spoil the punchline, but yeah. it's 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 just kind of a must watch episode. It's a standout episode, and honestly, like M- Mia's little reflection on on mm-hmm. on porn, right? 
Yep. And and her part in it is an important thing to hear. You know, and I like I think that was like especially right now with given you know she's come up and she's spoken about uh the porn industry and and how she's been taken advantage of and all of that like in a time like this especially when it centers around her like just that that couple of seconds where she actually gets to speak about it on on platform like mm-hmm. a, a a TV show right um is yep. is great right like, yeah it's yeah. just something that should be celebrated. Yeah, I agree, and as with like uh, the struggles of being a practicing Muslim in in the twenty first century, you know, um, Rami, you know, his his porn addiction, his sex addiction, uh, and 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 everything else is is incredibly relatable as well as his misguided nature. You know, he I think he means mm-hmm. well, but he goes about it in in the wrong way, um, and that's kind of the sign of a, a really nuanced uh, protagonist. Uh, yeah. and he was that way in season one, and in season two, he was just. Flatly unlikable, as we mentioned. But yeah. uh, where Rami really shines, and and you kind of touched upon it a bit earlier as well, is when the episodes kind of toggle between Rami's misadventures to uh, on the road to the enlightenment, and yeah. kind of point poignant spotlights on other members of his family. You know, um, you mentioned like Rami's mother, Misa, uh, Dina, his sister, uh, and and all of that. You know? um, I think those spotlights are key, uh, and also offers a bit of a break from Rami's uh, ugliness. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, it's in, I think it's important, like, the, the it helps the pacing a great deal. You know, yeah. for us to just kind of take a break and all that. And especially to kind of see things from from the female perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. For at least the, the couple of episodes that we get here and there. Um, another character that I really enjoy seeing on screen is uh, Steve. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who constantly just calls Rami out on his shit all mm-hmm. the time, you know? Uh, and, like, his inclusion as kind of this almost Lear-esque uh, <laughs> jester role um, mm. and, and the kind of commentary that he adds to that is incredibly important. And I think the audience realizes it so much more than Rami does, uh, you know, that, like, he, he, he as a disabled person, Mm-hmm. You know, and and um, the role that he feels in Rami's life, right, and not just as you know, like sometimes he feels like a another one of Rami's projects, right? Yep. Uh, and to be fair, Rami does go out of his way to help him a great deal, but you know that that whole confrontation scene in the Las Vegas, uh, no, the Atlantic City hotel room, yeah. you know, where he's just like, this is not about you being a good Muslim, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so powerful mm-hmm. in a way that I didn't expect it uh, to go. You know, like I, I, I thought the setup was going to be hilarious. You know, there's going to be some sort of like comedic value to come out of that, but like that confrontation was very, very powerful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The supporting cast are like great, honestly. Um, it really has uh, a lot of depth to it that the supporting cast bring to it as well. I think like if we didn't have those guys around to just like offer differing perspectives and differing views and, and, and opinions, right. I don't think I would enjoy the show nearly as much. Uh, I, I do agree. It's, it's a very well-rounded show. Mm. Uh, we, especially with season two, it relies a lot on the supporting cast and, and the depth of the supporting cast to mm. counteract uh, the difficulty that you, ha- you, I mean, it's it, it's an intentional difficulty. Rami yep. is intentionally difficult to watch, but it could it could be too much if it, if it wasn't for the rest of the characters, lah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, comedy wise, Rami kind of is very funny. Like uh, <laughs> yeah. it has very it has very specific Muslim jokes that I think 
I never would have imagined seeing on screen. Mm-hmm. Also, it's kind of this border between um, almost very grounded kitchen sink realism and yeah. surreal and surreal farce. You know, yeah. it can be a farce too as well. Um, I think when you're talking about uh, the character of Steve and the fact that uh, kind of spoiler alert, Rami has to jerk him off. Uh, I won't review the reason. But it's it's a farcical scene, yeah, and it's really really funny. And and there's lines like "You're not gonna use my cum to wash away your sins." It's yeah. some of the funniest so lines good. I've ever heard. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. It's surreal and also like kind of shockingly insightful. Yeah, um, yeah. it it helps us understand its hero without ever absolving him mm-hmm. for his many many thoughtless mistakes and and actions. Uh. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing. And in terms of representation, uh, I've never seen Muslims represented with this much. Uh, uh, depth before on, on in Western media. Yeah, for sure. And and because being Islam or being uh, a practicing Muslim isn't a single, it isn't like one thing, you know. Yeah. It's many things. There are many different kinds of uh, Muslims, you know. Uh, and where season two excels, uh, you know, uh, explores how female Muslims uh, get along in the religion and in society, how mm-hmm. the different types of male Muslims there are. Uh, and even in season two with the introduction of the Sheikh, Marshal yeah. Ali, the, the kind of weird prism that we we think of uh black black Muslims, African American Muslims, you know, we think about the radicalized versions of them that we see in prison dramas. Do you, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, yeah. And I think the Sheikh does a lot to counteract that, la. Like like this is yeah. a stereotype of black Muslims that isn't necessarily real. You know, there are different types of black Muslims, as there are different types of Arabs and different types of Muslims. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it it features that the length of and the length and breadth of uh, Muslim. It's not a culture, but there is the the Arab culture and the Muslim religion in in a very thoughtful and insightful way that is frankly rare. Like there is nothing like Rami in 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 Western television or Western media in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, I totally agree with you there. Yeah, uh, that's why I love the show. Uh, if you want to watch it, right, it's uh, it's available on Hulu. Uh, if uh, you're not, uh, if you don't have Hulu, uh, and if you you know if you live outside of America and Canada, just VPN it. You can get it on Hulu. It's uh, it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, yeah. Very few Muslim American uh, immigrant uh, representation on TV, and this is probably the the best of it, mm. and, and one of the best of uh, the so called. Uh, second wave of uh, dramedies, you know, that that coming up right now. You know. Yeah. Uh, def- definitely on par with stuff like Atlanta and all that. Uh, yep. Next up, we'll be talking about uh, Hayao Miyazaki's uh, seminal, environmentally conscious uh, classic, uh, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Yep. Uh, before we begin, uh, do you want to give like a, a little premise or a setup for this? Yeah. So, um, like, like we kind of touched on earlier, um, Nausicaa is uh, uh, considered a Ghibli film, but it was actually um, released a couple of years before Studio Ghibli was founded, uh, but it's still considered part of the canon. Uh, it yep. is Hayao Miyazaki's second directorial outing. Yes. Uh, I believe that his first one was just a couple of, of years before that. And it originally started off as a manga that was written and drawn by Miyazaki himself. Uh, so he was kind of pestered at the time uh, into uh, turning it into an animated feature, which he was resistant. Um, but thankfully he did, and we are blessed with the beautiful film that is, is Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind. So um, it's a post-apocalyptic look at a, at a world uh, where 
you know, industry has gone wrong and we've polluted our earth to the point whereby, you know, uh, a form of apocalypse has happened. Uh, yep. The story starts a millennium, a millennium after um, an incident called the Seven Days of Fire, which was an apocalyptic war that destroyed civilization and created uh, this well, entity or this place called the Toxic Jungle, right? Which is a poisonous like forest um, with giant uh, mutant insects and and poisonous like toxic spores that that take control of all life form um, that it comes into contact with. You know, uh, we follow our protagonist, Nausicaa, who is a princess in the kingdom of a place called the Valley of the Wind uh, yeah. that is near to the toxic, <coughs> uh, the toxic jungle, but uh, or as they call it, like the Sea of Decay, right? Um, mm. That is unaffected up to the point. It's kind of like this little idyllic, uh, literal valley uh, that's, that's set aside whereby the villagers kind of have their own you know, they've got their own kingdom and their own kind of society and humanity is just kind of rebuilding after a millennia of the ashes of this catastrophic event. Uh, Nausicaa herself is a warrior princess who uh, flies around on her glider uh, as a wind rider and has this amazing ability to connect with um, with the people and the, the, um, the flora and fauna around her on a very kind of like magical level. Uh, and we, we kind of follow her journey as she navigates through an incident uh, whereby uh, there's an invading nation that, that is trying to uh, take, control of, uh, take control of a weapon. I don't want to give too many things away, even though I think the Statue of Limitations has kind of passed for this. Yeah, take control of a weapon and it, it ends up involving the Valley of the Wind. Uh, and through her journey, she eventually discovers uh, the, the reason for the existence of the Toxic Jungle that brings a lot of surprise uh, to yeah. her as well as, uh, as, a young, uh, with, with, uh, as a young leader of her own nation, uh, how she has to navigate the different kind of like political... Um, issues that come up with like you know warring nations and things like that by and large Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind is a big kind of like environmental um, uh, environmental and anti-war film uh, and in it you will see a lot of um, bits and pieces that you that you you'll get to see in like later Ghibli films right like you have yeah. Uh, you know, the whole environmental thing that you also see in Princess Mononoke and you have mm. a lot of like whimsy that you en end up seeing in, in Totoro and you, um, in Spirited Away. You know, you've got uh, an old witch uh, character very reminiscent of Yubaba as yeah. well. Um, but what stands out to me, I, I think the first time, okay, so for a bit of background, I had, my, my first Ghibli film was uh, My Neighbor Totoro. Right, yeah. and then from there, of course, you know all the all the house moving castle, Prince of Mononoke, and I watched all of that until I was gifted, uh, oh, not gifted, I was I was lent a set of of this DVD box set, right, of, of uh, Ghibli films, and the first film on that list uh, is actually Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind. Yeah. So out of curiosity, I was just like, oh, okay. I, I, at that point of time, I never heard about it, so I I took a look of it, and I remember very distinctly at that point thinking that Nausicaa felt a lot like a Star Wars movie mm. for some reason. Because, like, the way in which it traces, like, a very kind of traditional hero's journey, you know, the call to action and all of that, and having to face the Guardian and so on and so forth, uh, 
felt very familiar. And, you know, later on, like, on further viewings and, like, doing a lot of, like, reading up and watching interviews with Miyazaki as he talked about it, um, so many of um, my favorite uh, franchises, I, I would say, uh, you know, kind of comes up with that. Like, he... Um, he draws from a lot of works from Earthsea by Ursula K. Gwynn that we've kind of talked about before. You know, yeah. um, Nightfall by Asimov. Um, there are moments that are reminiscent of like Lord of the Rings. There are moments that, you know, are very reminiscent of, uh, of Herbert's Dune. Uh, mm. And all these things are things I love and is why I fell in love um, with uh, Nausicaa. Uh, there it has everything that you could possibly want out of a, a film like this, right? The animation is gorgeous. It sets Amazing. you up in a world that is both beautiful and grotesque at the same time. Uh, it yeah. never shies away from, from difficult topics or, or dangerous moments, despite the fact that, you know, um, and I don't think any Ghibli film has ever done that, but there's a sense of danger and a sense of, of, of wildness to Nausicaa that I, I think we don't get as much of uh, in later Ghibli films, right? Yeah. Um, we've got a lot of action sequences and a lot of really good fight sequences, I have to say, for, for its time uh, that we don't get in almost any other Ghibli film. Um, you know, so uh, there's so much to love here uh, in terms of like, just the kind of strange world that Miyazaki has built in order to kind of tell this story of once again, you know, um, humans trying to find their way in a world that we fucked up. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's a gorgeous, um, hopeful story uh, of, of love and of sacrifice and of empathy and of kindness uh, that I was really, really taken by and, and really needed, uh, you know, really like to share. Definitely. Um, I think this, I mean, obviously coming belated to it, like mm -hmm. for a film made in 1984, uh, Nausicaa has aged remarkably well. Incredibly well, yeah. I think it, it kind of proves that how far ahead of its time it, it was, though, you know, with its themes, you know, the, the urgent warning about ecological disaster, you know. Mm -hmm. It is, um, it's a, uh, also a stirring tale about this princess brokering peace between, you know, giant insects and warring tribes and humans. And it all plays like a dream-like dream -like thing of beauty. I see a lot of uh, classical influences that Miyazaki had, you know, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, yeah. Star Wars, Le Guin, etc. I also see how a lot of modern animation is influenced by this. Yeah. Like having recently seen Shira and mm -hmm. recently seen Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beats, you know. It's a bit hard not to see how, uh, how influenced, how how directly influenced yep. they are by Nautica, you know. Absolutely. It's so direct, it's insane, yeah. Um, and for the longest time, Princess Mononoke was my favorite Ghibli film. Mm -hmm. Um, this is, I guess, the most similar Ghibli to Princess Mononoke, because yep. it is those two are, are quite distinct from the whimsy of the Toro and Spirited Away and the rest. Like, not, yep. not to say they're bad, they're amazing works of art. Mm -hmm. This is just the kind of genre I resonate with most. Yeah, it's absolutely. just easy, easy to get into. Like, it's it's a classical tale of fantasy you know um and, and uh, the hero's journey and the calling and, and everything uh. it's it's so beautiful the human humanity's relationship with nature and with weaponry you know and, and, the, and the parable that that it implies mm -hmm. um and on on just a surface level like if you want to take out the themes and all of that yeah it's an exhilarating action movie oh yeah like the the, the scale is epic yeah, it's it's amazing. It's it's a this two fisted attack against um, corporate power and ecological destruction. But it's also 
just flat out like amazing to look at. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty amazing. I I mean, there's a lot of flying going on, and uh, we see that a bit later on in Bokoroso as well, mm. right? Uh, but there are so many kind of uh, modern day anime that you know kind of take those same like these giant planes and all of that and flying on like strike witches and so on and so forth, right? Mm. Um, and and some of them can't do animation as good as Nausicaa, right? Definitely. The moments in time when Nausicaa is just like soaring through the air. You know, and doing like this insane kind of like movements on her glider, uh, and, and navigating the clouds and all of that. Uh, it's amazing sequences to watch, and you kind of get kind of lost in that, right? Uh, and it's it's interesting to see how many of the themes that we see in Nausicaa get repeated later on in other Ghibli films in in a different way, right? In kind of a different tone. Um, but the freedom of those flying sequences. Um, even like the fight sequences themselves, which on my first watching, I was just kind of like, really? Ghibli does like solid fight sequences? Uh, yeah. Is uh, surprising, you know? And uh, yeah, it's, I wish it's we could talk about more of that later on, but, you know, the, definitely the tone shift and the stories that Miyazaki wanted to tell definitely have changed over time. Uh, mm-hmm. But the closest for sure has to be Princess Mononoke in terms of its theme. Uh, but where in Princess Mononoke we get more of a fantastical, spiritual uh, leaning uh, to the message there. Um, the one that we get here is a bit more science fiction, I guess. Um, but it also feels and... like a fairy tale, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, it, like it also feels like a fairy tale in a sense that there is this wonder and whimsy as well, but not yeah. as much as Totoro or, or, or Spirited Away. La. But it is, yeah. the, there's the, the message at the end as well. Uh, so it's, it's this wonderful confluence of fantasy and sci-fi, you know, and, and mm. um, a genre that kind of been overused in, in the, the post-steampunk apocalypse, you know. Uh, yeah. But I've never done yeah. it with, I've never seen it done with this much whimsy, la. And and this mm. much beauty, the the soaring of the skies, as you mentioned, reminded me a bit of um, uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender as well. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, like it, it's it's easy to see. I I think if any of you haven't watched Nausicaa, it's easy to yeah. draw um direct lines of inspiration to so many of the the films and TV shows, animated ones especially that we we love and enjoy. Yeah. Uh, it. It is an important watch. And now that it's on Netflix and readily available, and also it's a remastered one, uh, I just... Mm. Yeah, coming into this podcast, I rewatched it recently. Uh, the quality is much better than the original copy that I watched. Um, you know, And being able to see that like you know, on a much bigger screen in higher definition really does add a lot to it. Um, people might complain like the drawing style is a bit dated and it's not as polished as later Ghibli stuff, but like it doesn't take away from the fact that it is ridiculously detailed uh, and animated gorgeously. Uh, it's also uh, Joe Hisashi's first uh, film. Yeah. yeah, soundtrack yeah. that he worked with, uh, with Miyazaki. And of course, um, for those of you uh, who know, Joe Hisashi basically did almost everything that's on the Studio <laughs> Ghibli uh, palette. Uh, yeah. and it is uh, the music is great um, you can kind of see the moments in time where you know like certain refrains are, be- seem very familiar because they get explored like kind of later on in other movies as well uh, but the music adds so much to the scene especially mm-hmm. uh, in moments of danger right like where you don't usually Hisashi doesn't usually get that grim with the music um, yes. uh, for lack of a better word but man it's so good so so good. 
hundred percent agree, man. Joe Joe Hisashi is um the the John Williams of Japanese animation. Mm, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It's uh it's it's insane how how I can think of so many things that were influenced by this. You know, the even down to the fucking um lead character. You know, I, I think this must have been one of the first representations of this feisty, morally righteous, endearing heroine. Mm. Know, um, the, of this um operatic story like, like she is the hero and i don't this predates mulan this yep. predates pocahontas and it obviously predates mononoke you know this this is a hit of its time on so many levels in terms of representation in terms of theme um it's just a wonderful film that i can't believe it took me so long to watch yeah it's 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 kind of crazy i mean like obviously this um film led to the the establishing of, of ghibli and yeah. I was reading that um, there was an animator who's on who was uh, animating this uh, Hideaki Anno, who later on uh, goes on to found uh, um, what's it called Gainex and writes and directs Neon Genesis Evangelion. Wow! You know, so like that, it, it felt like a confluence of things. Like even in real life, right? Like the magic of the movie itself ends up spinning off into like all these other amazing things that that inherit like kind of the 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 will of that right like the mm-hmm. desire to make um great animated film yeah um a part of me also is a little i guess tired of cg animation mm. um not not there's nothing wrong with it per se i'm just i kind of miss the hand drawn artisan craftsmanship yeah. of something like this which added a a nostalgia to it and and just a different texture and mood you know it's a bit like how if modern filmmakers use a 16 millimeter lens or an 8 millimeter lens you know to give a certain aesthetic like uh how the cinematographers of joker for example wanted mm. to recapture the tone and texture of um uh of uh, taxi driver and, and the king of comedy and those old scorsese films yeah yeah you know, i i really think that you know if you can bring back this type of craftsmanship to give uh, a different sort of uh, texture to a new film if you wanted to. Like, and I'm really sad that it's kind of gone out of style. Yeah, it's it's hard. I think like other other than the stuff that Ghibli has, re- has released um, in, in modern day, the modern day anime industry, right? Very few yeah. studios are willing to do that just because of the significant uh, costs, right? Um, because like back in the day, these things were paid per frame. Uh, yeah. you know, and it takes an incredible amount of time and incredible amount of artistry and is a bit more unforgiving, I think, than a lot of the modern day uh techniques that are used. I I mean like we've talked about this before. I'm not a big fan of anime that uses like the whole 3D cell shading thing. Like yes. I I'll put up with that I'll put up with it, right? So long as the story is good and in the it's interesting and there's something else there other than the animation, but it's not, you know, one of my favorite medium visual mediums uh as far as it goes and i i hope you know um that someone somewhere uh i mean we don't know when when miyazaki's next film will be it's been postponed for a while now we don't even know if it's confirmed uh because he's been flip-flopping about it but you know someone inherits that uh and i do feel like with the current crop of of uh, animated feature uh, anime feature film makers um the likes of your name and and all of that, like they have inherited some of that magic uh, yes. from some very seminal pieces of work that come out of Ghibli, and I hope they continue in that direction. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm very happy that you know all of uh, the Ghibli collection is now on Netflix for most people mm-hmm. uh, in the world. Yeah, 
Same, yeah. And I'm happy to say I've, I've plugged up all my Ghibli holes. Uh, nice. What, what, that sounded so wrong. Um, I've watched the entire Ghibli filmography. Uh, I've seen Poco Rosso after, right after I watched Nausicaa, actually. Nice. Um, so, yeah, one of the best uh, anime studios out there. One of the best film studios in general, mm-hmm. regardless of medium or genre. Yeah, uh, Out there. And definitely highly recommend it. I, I know a lot of people are, are familiar with Totoro and Spirited Away mm-hmm. and things like that. But if you kind of dig into the earlier work, I think that's where some of the best Miyazaki stuff is. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind. Poco Rosso is really, really good. Uh, mm. You know, um, it, it's really, really good. And I think it gives a very interesting kind of like look into like the industrial complex and the war machines and things like that. And uh, he, I mean, he's a pig after all, but like he, he's a hero at the same time. Uh, really, really good, and of course, you know, you can't forget things like Grave of the Fireflies, which yeah, is probably uh, not, one of the yeah, not not strictly a Miyazaki film, yeah, but directed a, by someone else, right? Yeah, yeah, but like still, like it, it's up there, you know, as far as like, um, so, you know, animated feature films, uh, anime feature. Films. Oh, one, it uh, came out the same year. Yeah, as, that's, um, that's pretty much it. Highly like, recommend Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind if you have not. It is available on Netflix for most regions, I believe. Uh, otherwise. Please feel free oh, to yeah. um, use a VPN. Oh, go buy the, the the box set. The box set is pretty beautiful, actually, from what I remember when I had my hands on it. Hundred percent. Like, do do get the box set, or if you're a digital person, watch it on Netflix. Also, I highly recommend for me. Loved Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind, uh, and also loved everything that Ghibli has ever ever done. Uh. Um, and that about wraps it up for uh, this week of uh, the Behold podcast. Uh, once again, thanks to Charlie for coming on, yep. and we'll be back in a uh, two weeks time, mm-hmm. uh, where I think we will be talking as our main topic, uh, Hamilton, yep. uh, which will be available for streaming on Disney Plus soon. Uh, so we are excited to see the film <laughs> version of that. Um, yeah, obviously I've never. I didn't shell out like $2,000 and go to Broadway to watch Hamilton. But <laughs> I will say, I have seen Hamilton. Uh, those, who know, <laughs> those who know how, know, know lah. Yeah, yeah, there's a camera phone kind of bootleg out there. Obviously, it's not the same as watching it live or watching the film version. So I'm excited to see it presented uh, properly, finally. Uh, loved Hamilton. And I think Isa is recommending to me a manga called Way of the House Husband. Yes, Did I get it right? Yeah, Way of the House Husband. That's right. Um, so we'll be kind of going through that. It's something that I discovered recently. Uh, a bit of a different tone. A bit of a comedic uh, take on like uh, a Yakuza who, who turns a new leaf and becomes a house husband. Um, so we'll be talking about that as well. Definitely. And um, I'll be recommending to Isa um, an, a different show on Hulu uh, called Pen15. Uh, it is spelt like penis, but, you know, Pen15, P-E-N-1-5. Um, it's a, a, a kind of cringe comedy created by two <laughs> women named uh, Maya Erskine and Anna Conko. They are two 31-year-old actresses playing, 30, playing 13-year-old versions of themselves amidst a cast of actual 13-year-olds. Uh, so they're the only 31-year-olds there, but... Um, it is it is pretty amazing like, in, in how they they just immerse themselves into their 13-year-old selves to a point where I stopped noticing that they were 31. Damn. Like two episodes in. It's so good. Um, and if you think that is kind of just this amusing sketch idea that could run dry, like, wait till you see the full series. Like, it's, <laughs> it's a lot more than just the, the joke of 31-year-olds playing 13-year-olds. Like, it's uh, from what I've heard from a lot of the female friends who I've recommended, uh, they had to kind of stop halfway because not because it was bad, but because it was too real 
in mm. terms of uh, being a 13 year old is too embarrassing to watch because all the things that is portrayed on screen is so um, uncomfortably awkward and uncool and, and personal and intimate uh, and it's just uh, insightful for me as a man to watch it because I, I don't know what it's like to be going through puberty uh, as a woman and this is a, a funny cringy way of kind of going about it. So I'm, I'm going to be linking uh, Ice Out with Ben 15. Sweet. Thanks. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, and that is this week for the Behold Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been Hit Zero. This is Isa. Goodbye, guys. Ciao.